just the ability to have a good shower at the end of the day, knowing that you will not get sick after your shower. You finish your shower, you go and drink a cup of, you know, lovely tea made with good quality water, you're good. If over 96% of our water is in the oceans, where does the water for our daily needs come from? Many of us take for granted the challenges facing water access and security in South Africa. As we see taps, you know, and that's where the water comes from, but in actual fact, that water that comes out of that tap is actually being managed by your local municipality. So we need to think very carefully, I think, around what comes before the tap and also what comes after the tap and where that water goes. You don't see it. The only thing you see is your tap. You open your tap, is there water or not? But cities, especially in, let me say, the African continent, are really facing immense pressure because the urbanization and population growth is really, really rapid. That was Eunice Obomba-Chaswa and Yazid van Veik, two water researchers. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities, and the environment. Please enjoy today's episode, a celebration of all things water and the people working tirelessly to protect it. And this is For Water for Life, the podcast series that tells the extraordinary stories of ordinary people who've made it their life's mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live in South Africa. I'm Kukule Tumshongo. I'm Michelle Constant. Welcome. Yazid and Yunus have spent decades exploring the many paths that water travels from its sources to our taps, and especially the quality and conservation of that water, which is under threat. I'm a microbiologist by training, but currently I work at the Water Research Commission where I'm a research manager. I manage a portfolio of projects dealing with source water pollution and protection, including both microbial and chemical contaminants. The Water Research Commission is a South African state entity that wants to find innovative water solutions through research and development and to shape policy. The bulk of my projects also has a human health element related to it. But ultimately, the focus is really to develop solutions to address water quality challenges and to make sure the environment and people are healthy. Also at the commission is specialist research manager Yazid. I strategically manage what's called the groundwater hydrology portfolio, and that's across the organization's sort of strategic areas, which sits under the research and development branch. This sounds all very technical and complex, so let's take it back to basics, back to the water cycle and the tap that many of us turn on to access our water. In terms of just the general water cycle, you know, we know Earth's water is always this constant state of movement. The natural water cycle, also known as the hydrological cycle, sort of describes the continuous movement of water on, above, and obviously below the Earth's surface. And it's always changing states, right, between liquid, vapor, ice, and how these 
process happens sort of in a blink of an eye over over millions of years. And if we look closely at how I think the world's total water supply has been broken up, I think we are somewhere in between 1,386 million cubic kilometers of water that's distributed over the Earth, with only 96% of that, oh, sorry, a large portion rather, 96% being locked up in the oceans, and a very small percentage of available fresh water, which is 2.5%. 68% of that number is locked up in ice and glaciers. Rain also provides fresh water to the cycle, but only a small part of it. But I think the one that sticks out the most is the 30% of fresh water that actually sits as groundwork. And the rest is obviously 1.2%, which accounts for the surface water. So that's the water cycle in a nutshell. And I think on top of this, you know, we are we're also finding ourselves, I think, in this unprecedented situation with the pandemic, you know, the issues of climate change. And what about groundwater, the water beneath our feet that is present in the Earth's water table and a key component of our survival? I think it's sort of the Cinderella of our of our water cycle, you know, simply because, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's something that you can't see. You know, it's typically out of sight. And then it's not as easy as when you look at a dam and you see the dam's full or the dam's half full. This water beneath our feet is moving all the time, flowing underground and seeping upwards into aquifers, which are mostly formed from ancient rock. And thanks to it moving through rock and earth, one of nature's filtration systems, it's purified and of a higher quality. And these are your saturated geological units that normally transmit economic quantities of water to your boreholes or your wells or your surface streams, even in some instances. We're talking about very, very slow-moving water that moves centimetres per year, so it's very, very slow as opposed to your surface water. But it eventually merges back to the land surface, either into rivers, into the oceans, and this is really what keeps this sort of water cycle going. So it's an integral part of the hydrological cycle. Unseen and underrated, it's crystal clear that groundwater has a critical role to play. The Water Research Commission delved deeper and recently released a significant report on it. And what it basically shows in a nutshell is that 50% of the water really only comes from 10% of the land area. And this is sort of broken down into your strategic water source areas for groundwater, which constitutes about 11% of the total groundwater supply in the country, which might not seem a lot, but certainly is the backbone if you consider that we have had far below average rainfall coming out of this drought. And then the remainder is obviously used for, for agriculture and for industrial purposes. Groundwater, as I mentioned, is also typically the sole source of water in many, many rural areas in this country. Actually, very little water is available to us for daily use. This means that our catchment areas, which collect rainfall and provide water for domestic and industrial use, are extremely important. These fragile and essential ecosystems are affected by all human activities, but many of them in South Africa are taking extra strain.
So um, in terms of the catchments that are in danger, I wouldn't want to necessarily pick on catchments, but I do think that it's important to recognize that there are our river catchments that really work hard for us, and we like to classify them as our working rivers. So definitely the Val system, crocodile, elephant river systems, where a lot of mining and agricultural activities take place. But what exactly is so damaging to these river systems, our essential life forces? the agriculture sector, which has its pesticides, herbicides, a multitude of fertilizers and stuff, which are important for growth of our crops. But at the same time, if they are not removed before they are dumped into the resource, then you also have catchments that become endangered. I think that being said, though, the Water Research Commission, that's where we really come in because we fund a lot of work that looks at how to rehabilitate some of these river systems that have been damaged because of use. But that's not all we have to worry about. Unfortunately, some of our wastewater treatment works are not functioning and they discharge treated or very poorly treated water into our river systems. It's clear that if we don't manage our water system properly, the water that ends up coming out of our taps will be compromised, impacting on the health of our communities and biospheres. South Africa's natural water resources, you know, are being polluted. It's being polluted, it's being overexploited. And I think there's a lack of active management. This is not something that's just happened. It's, it's sort of been a legacy issue. And it, it seems as if we are, we're not getting it right for some reason or the other. And I think our natural resources are also at threat, you know, because of dumping. We have problems with refuse management, illegal dumping, issues of poor sanitation. And this often ends up in our stormwater systems and ultimately in our rivers. So at the municipal scale, I think there's a real issue of underinvestment in sewage as well and wastewater treatment plants and infrastructure. water quality results in a lack of water security. This is bad news for our fast-growing urban communities and for economic prosperity across South Africa. We've had a number of issues around here in Pretoria where people have said, look, you know, a weird smell is coming from our water. If you think about it, those same people then have to now go and buy water if they can afford to buy water. Sometimes people have to take time off from work to go and get water. Sometimes, unfortunately, people drink water that might not be safe. They might get sick. The implications of then going to the hospital, spending money on adequate medication to treat whatever health consequence from drinking that poor water quality has occurred. So health and economic livelihoods. If you have a population, for instance, that is not healthy, that means they cannot produce anything. And that means that the economic status of our country starts to lower. These kinds of water issues are mirrored far beyond South Africa's borders. Bringing them under control is being addressed on a global scale as part of the Sustainable Development Goals issued by the United Nations. But poor quality water impacts our economy in vast ways, from the fruits that South Africa exports to tourists coming to visit.
a lot of people just really relegate it to the water they're drinking at the moment, but it's much bigger than that. We have a lot of tourists who want to come into South Africa to enjoy our recreational water and get involved in recreational water activities. If we do have our beaches that are being closed every other day, or if the standards of our beaches are going down, the water in our reservoirs, our dams where boating, fishing activities occur, that also affects economic livelihoods because we are not maintaining the water quality of our various water bodies. If a city has been designed for 100 people and water infrastructure there serves 100 people and now you have within a span of 10 years maybe tripling of that population and now the infrastructure is not being addressed to meet up with that supply, you will have people who will not have access to water occasionally and I think that's what we experience. As we will learn throughout the series, urban communities and African cities are growing rapidly. Our water demands are rising fast. Settlements are springing up without proper servicing, raising alarm bells. Sometimes our cities have growing in areas where they are very either semi-arid or arid regions. So they are not actually rainfall predominant areas which also makes it complicated. So you're basically bringing in, transferring water to these growing cities. So that's also another challenge when it comes to infrastructure and how to get water into the cities to ensure that everybody is serviced. Maybe this is where groundwater comes into play as a resource that has not yet been fully utilized. But one of South Africa's other challenges is the climate crisis that exacerbates the situation. The lack of rainfall, or rains not coming in time, is increasing. With these challenges, I'm wondering what local or indigenous solutions we might be able to tap into to help us to conserve and purify water. So I think uh, things that come sort of to mind almost immediately, and I know I've been a part of this uh, in the previous project, was the whole issue around rainwater harvesting, where the, you know these communities, they, they capture the rain and making the most of it as close to the possible to where it falls. And other commonly accepted practices, as particularly in the rural areas, is where they cover the soil with mulch, for example, you know, with crop residue. And this is all in achieving the goal, you know, to reduce sort of evaporation, but to maximize infiltration. I think a range of natural resource conservation measures linked to soil, grazing, forestry, biodiversity, and water in general is really, really, really uh, important. From the rivers to the aquifers, from what is seen to what is concealed, the security and quality of our water requires the collective effort from all of us who use it. I think there is hope. We need to recognize that South Africa's natural resources is also an integral part of our heritage. We need to ensure that our country's heritage is preserved and taken care of, obviously, uh, for future generations. And I think we, we have the, all the tools, we have all the know-how, we know what to do. I think we just need to really follow, I think, the right protocols. And then something that I don't think we really touched on was really the issue around capacity building, you know, and skills development, you know, is do we have suitably qualified professionals doing the job that they're actually supposed to be doing? And I think we need to use the research and the innovation that we've built up over the past 50 years at the Water Research Commission, you know, and this will solve a lot, I think, a lot of our water insecurity issues. But we can only do this if we work together.
from beneath the surface to the towering concrete structures of our cities, our next episode unfolds a story in the depths of the urban jungle. The design that I am creating, I'm very, very passionate about people and creating better societies, better environments for people, particularly people whose voices have generally not been heard. I love designing, I love envisioning and having an optimistic view of, of what the world can be. As we explore the relationship between buildings and water, Afia Wilcox, an architect, invites us into the African Renaissance that envisions water in the city in new ways. You know, I have to be an optimist in terms of believing that we can actually create better, more sustainable city. And the way I will do that is by, you know, taking the responsibility of allowing the buildings that I create to be better when it comes to water conservation. How can I create fittings that allow for a more responsible usage of water? How can I create systems that allow for this building to repair itself, to replenish itself and to recycle water? I can't wait to meet her. I'm Michelle Constant. And I'm Gugule Tumsungo. Thank you for listening. All our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo for Water for Life. Find us on social media at For Water for Life and share your water stories using the hashtag Listen to the Water. Because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed this episode of For Water for Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content.